This episode is brought to you by Stratosphere.io, the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs and segment revenues. The service saves time, has a beautiful interface, and has the best data visualizations on the internet for equities. Now, our favorite features are the 10 years of data with data visualizations. This includes company-specific KPIs, charts for all the financial metrics you might be interested in, and stuff specifically for that company. So for example, if you're looking at a payments company, you might have take rates, you might have GMV. If you're looking at a marketplace, you'll have GMV as well. All that good stuff that can get you updated on your research process. If you wanna get started today for free, go to stratosphere.io and start utilizing the powerful research terminal. Again, that is stratosphere.io. The link is in the show notes. We hope you'll join us on there today. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we have on an analyst to discuss a single stock. And today we have Ben Tui on the show. I want to give a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a pep talk for our guest here. Ben started a blog in high school uh, when he was a high schooler that I've actually really enjoyed. Had no idea he was a high schooler when he started it, but there's been some really, really good write-ups that he's done, really comprehensive work. He's still in college, so he's super young, but you can tell how good of an investor he already is. Um, and we're talking about a, probably a company that not that many people know. It's called Vera Mobility, although you've probably interfaced with it if you are a, if you have a driver's license. And live in a city, in a big city, Yes. Um, any any highlights like, from the interview for you? Yeah, I mean, this is, it's like, I think we're going to call maybe the episode, unless we get something better, the toll road of toll roads. I mean, it's, that's a compelling pitch. It really just has a take rate on a lot of speeding tickets, automatic speeding tickets, automated toll roads, partnership with these rental car companies where you're just taking that uh, just incremental fee on a lot of stuff. And what I really enjoy is when it's a company that, doesn't have to do much work on its own. Its customers do all its work for them. And this, I think, describes Vera Mobility perfectly. You won't know the name of the business. I don't think anyone knows Vera Mobility, but you'll understand the concept. It's pretty easy to understand. So I, I think, you know, highlights all around. And if you want to read more of Ben's work, uh, his uh, it's, it's a vest rule is his sub stack and it's V E S T R U L E. We'll have the link in the show notes, but tons of good write-ups there. All free. All free. Yeah. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. Today we are joined by Ben Tui. He is the writer or author of, is it Vestrul Capital? Am I getting that right? Or is it just Vestrul? Just Vestrul. Vestrul. Uh, go ahead and check it out. I've been a reader for a while. And so I'm really glad that we were able to get him on. And he recently wrote up a company called Vera Mobility. Um, so go ahead, check that out. Maybe pair that with the podcast if you want. So let's start there. How did you find Vera Mobility? And then 
we I'll, I'll talk about this maybe the the way they went public after so uh how'd you find it yeah so i think their mobility was kind of a culmination of two different threads woven together um so being a self-proclaimed value guy um i sit down every other friday for an hour start with a blank google doc and i just say well what does everyone hate right now um and one of these fridays it kind of um populated the DSPAC world. So these are companies that have gone public via special purpose acquisition company, um, are now real public companies, um, but um, they, they went public via this alternative route, right? And I figured, well, if I find a business or two uh, that are real businesses uh, that make money uh, in this whole rubble, because uh, a lot of these companies trade at uh, maybe a dollar, two dollars a share, and they went public at 10. Um, so a lot of these are, are busted, so to speak. Um, so if I could find a diamond in the rough, I think that might be an interesting place to fish. So what I did was I went uh, and I just made an A to Z list of all of the public companies or so companies that went public via SPAC since 2018 and just started A to Z and went through them. Uh, it was a couple hundred companies, um, but it took me all the way to the V's to find a real one. So Did you, did you find a yeah, lot no, of... Yeah, this one, the spelling, you know, that, that that's tough on that little uh, idea you had there. <laughs> did, you, did you find a lot of garbage, I guess, in there? Let me tell you, there are so many companies that you just, you look through and they're like, oh, we're going to 10x revenue next year. And you're like, all right, well, we'll move on. Yeah. So and now um, you can see that they're not because the, the presentations were probably two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. You just go you back test and, and check with well, what did management say and what actually came true. Uh, and a lot of it is fake. But I found Bear Mobility that it was one of maybe two or three companies that looked real to me. Um, and I kind of look for the same eight-ish characteristics in companies. So simple, predictable, free cash flow generative, dominant businesses, high barriers to entry, earn high returns on capital, um, well-capitalized, strong balance sheet, averse to external risk that management can't control, um, and run by able and honest shareholder-oriented managers. So kind of what Bill Ackman's or uh, the Buffett's of the world lay out for us. So that, that was step one was what do people hate right now? It was D-SPACs. And then the, the step two, the other thread was, I know we talked about it earlier, but I um, really admire the way that Connor Haley invests um, and his work on makings of a multi-bagger and kind of the screens to run to look for, for inflection points. Um, so I ran a screen looking for a company swallowing 3 billion. Um, I'm a young guy, so I don't have as much time to dedicate as professional investors. So I need to look smaller where I might have an edge. Um, that have high gross margins. I define that as 60% plus. Um, high EBITDA margins. I'd screen for 30% plus. Growing top line and trade for less than 15 times EV to EBITDA. Um, and again, bear mobility kind of popped up. And from there, I was like, all right, well, it's time to it's time to dig in and get to work. And you have, I mean, you mentioned that the uh, uh, the SPAC world has kind of largely been thrown out. A lot of the B SPACs. Um, have have been hated and in most cases i would say deservedly so the but i i think your approach is right trying to find the diamonds in the rough does it does it leave any like stain on vera mobility for you that they chose to go public via this route just considering like i don't know it, it feels like to me well they could I, have ipo'd with all the you know seemed like any company could ipo so there is just that small concern right it, yeah I, I guess maybe was the best route for them, but did it leave any sort of stain for you? Yeah, so to tackle that, it did leave a stain, right? Um, and uh, CEO talked about it. He actually appeared and did like a, uh, a written interview just talking about the stain it did leave. But I think there's some important things to point out, right? So as I mentioned, a lot of these DSPACs are trading for two or $3. They go public at 10, 
So it's important to note the variable mobility trades at 16, 17 on a given day. So this is a company that's trading above its, its SPAC IPO. So the market obviously agrees that this is a real company doing real things. Um, I also think the sponsor is really important to look uh, into and their incentives. So it was the Gores family. So it's Alec and gosh, I think it's Tom Gores. So Platinum Equity Group and then the Gores Group um, were the sponsors for this SPAC. And they had previous um, experience with carve-outs. So they did the carve-out of Verifone from Hewlett Packard. Uh, so this is a real sponsor who's done real transactions and having that credible sponsor um, will give them some I guess, momentum going into uh, public markets. And obviously that's held their trading above their, their SPAC IPO. And then the second thing to kind of hit on is they've done real corporate actions. So what do I mean by that? They've bought back $150 million worth of stock since going public and they've acquired two companies, which we can talk through later, but I think that's two more acquisitions than any other DSPAC is going to do in their entire public company life ever. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a good, those are two good reasons. Let's get into the actual business. Can you describe their different lines, their different segments? And I believe there's two large ones. Um, and then what are kind of the unit economics of each to give any of the listeners uh, just some context there? Yeah, so by way of context, there's three um, business segments. They combined for $550 million in revenue in 2021. And then the, the first of these I'll cover is the commercial segment. That's about 47% of revenues. Uh, and it's, this is the leader in outsourced toll management um, for rental car companies and fleet management companies. So to shorten it, I'll call them RACs and FMCs, uh, which is how the company refers to them. So these are the the Hertzes, the Enterprises, um, and then the Avis Budget Group um, of the world. And basically, the way to think about it is if a car runs the toll, it's their mobility job to pay that toll at the discounted um, electronic rate and then bill the customer out at the cash rate, which is usually 10 to 15 percent higher. Variability is the payment processor that collects that spread. Um, so they make money also on a $5.95 daily fee. Um, and then they have some other back-end businesses. So this is title and registration, making sure the um, all the vehicles are up to date. And then um, also if the driver has uh, runs, a, uh, runs a red light or gets caught with a traffic violation, maybe speeding, um, they'll build the customer out for the for the rack or FMC. And then kind of the ecosystem to think about, um, you have 50 tolling authorities on one side, then you have your racks and FMCs, and bare mobility is really the integration layer between those two. Um, so breaking down into unit economics for this segment, 47% of revenues, 60% EBITDA margins, incremental margins are higher, probably 70%. Um, and then the P&L formula is kind of total number of uh, cars rented in the U.S. on a partner's fleet. And you multiply that by the probability of them using plate pass, which is their mobility's product, um, or running a toll during their trip. So that's segment one. That's commercial. Um, as you alluded to, uh, the government business is the second large business, and that was 51% of revenues last year. Um, and really, they contract with um, municipalities such as New York, Chicago, Dallas, Seattle, um, and then the 300 school districts in those areas. Uh, and they maintain at this point, it's probably north of 10,000 uh, speed, red light, bus lane, uh, and school bus stop arm cameras. Um, and then the razor and razor blade piece of this is that they also provide the software to run the program. So um, the interesting part about this business is that Vera has to customize for each municipality. They have their own rules and regulations. So this is kind of a vertical market software business where um, you get really high barriers to scale. 
Um, and then you have really high switching costs. So it's, it's tough to rip, rip out variability software once it's in place. Um, they make money basically on a fixed fee per camera and then they take 10% of um, the violations revenue. And then again, digging into unit economics, 70% market share in the US after they acquired Redflex, um, 51% of revenues, 80% of that's from this really sticky 98% retention rate um, software business. And then EBITDA margins are about 40%. And then that'll cover 98% of your revenues. Uh, the last 2% is this recently acquired um, T2 parking or the parking solutions business. Um, it should be high single digits this year just because you get the full impact of the, the acquisition kind of rolling through the, the uh, income statement. Um, so call it 8 to 10%. Um, 56% of those revenues are from um, actual payment processing and SaaS. 23% is from maintenance services to make sure the hardware is up and running. And then 21% is from actually putting in that hardware. Um, the overall market's $4 billion. It's growing high single digits per year. Um, and then your customer here is your Arizona States, your Texas A&Ms of the world. So large scale universities, they have a 44% market share there. Um, and then they're recently trying to shift into airports and other municipalities to uh, for adjacent vertical markets to grow in. Um, this business, again, unit economics wise, 80% margins like a SaaS business, uh, but even the margins are closer to 20%, um, just because there's some more costs that go into and, and as well, the, uh, the universities don't have as much money to actually spend. So they, they have some some certain issues with them. Less pricing power, maybe, maybe from those. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Quarter. Quarter is an all-in-one investor relations app that provides frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and more. With Quarter, investors can keep up to date with all their companies while on the move. I personally use it every earnings season so that I can keep up with my portfolio companies while I'm on my commute to the office. They also just released a cool new feature that allows users to search across all transcripts. That means you could search and see how many companies mention terms like inflation or cost pressure or recession or even metaverse, you name it. Uh, and the best part of all, the app's 100% free and it's on both iOS and Android. So go find it on your app store by searching Quarter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E. That's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do you think the parking business will benefit in any way from being under Vera Mobility's like umbrella? Like is, does Vera have the ability to kind of like accelerate growth for them or well, I'm trying to get to, I guess, what's the rationale for that acquisition? 
Yeah, so I think really what we want to do is stick for first principles. What is variable mobility? And I alluded to it earlier, but it's really a payment processing company. So anywhere that you can process payments, um, and if it has something to do with transportation, processing payments, the variable mobility will probably step in there. So I think it makes sense to have it under this payment processor umbrella. Okay. Um, what do I guess it's, its largest costs? Uh, it sounds like there's some installation that's it sounds like they're fronting that cost is that the biggest cost for them are there any other ones there yeah so i think the nice part about this business is that you have little to no cac or marketing spend that primarily falls on your racks and fmcs the hertz's of the world have to go out and acquire that customer uh, and their mobility just uh, benefits from having that customer in the ecosystem so they don't have to spend any cac um so you get really high incremental margins and then if you really think about it where where does revenue come from? It comes from you variability earning a spread based on traffic volumes and then any widening of that spread between the cash and cashless um, toll rates. So neither of those two variables require them to put up any more money. Um, so incremental margins are 100% or close to it. But the real cost, there's three buckets, right? So you have your DNA. Uh, this is depreciation for cameras and other hardware costs. So that's 20% of revenues, let's call it. And then your other two big buckets are your operating expenses. So you have operating expenses um, and SGNA. SGNA is more fixed. Uh, so this is your payroll, uh, your real estate lease expenses, your insurance costs, and that's call it 21, 22% of revenue. Um, and then the operating uh, expenses, this is where I think the variable costs come in that you alluded to. Uh, but this is the call centers, your transaction processing, printing, postage, and mailing of all the violations. And that comes out to about 30%. So there's some operating leverage over the SGNA, but my mental model is that I think uh, operating expenses um, will stay flat at 30% or continue at 30% of revenues. Right. And that's not bad whatsoever. And I guess, you know, again, the first introduction to this company seems like a great business. If it passed all those, you know, the, the checklist you had there, it's trading at a decent valuation. The big question I think that would come up from my on my mind and a lot of other investors mind when looking at this at first glance is where's the growth kind of kind of come from are they a small percentage of the you know the toll road and the the camera market um are there any tailwinds here that they can benefit from and if so do you have any you know numbers to share yeah so just thinking about some of the growth drivers right um the commercial business, you have three main drivers you can think about. You have this cash to cashless conversion. Uh, it's 50% in 2019 and 64% in 2021. So that's a big COVID bump. I think that's stickier. It's probably a better uh, customer value proposition, less traffic, you kind of flow through the toll easier. So that's more sticky revenue. Um, I think that that 64% stays. Your second is the increasing cost of road maintenance, uh, which leads to an increased number of toll roads, which I can explain. And then um, your third driver is really cars being rented for longer, which increases billable days, um, and then toll fees creeping up over time. So really, once a renter has a car, they have three choices, right? You can either choose not to drive on a toll road and drive longer. Um, you can choose to pay in cash and have to stop at the, the toll operator and hand them in these days probably the exact change. Or you can go into Vera Mobility's program, right? So naturally, when the option to pay in cash is taken away, going to increase their mobility's take rate. Management's talked about how they are in that eighth inning of cashless tailwind. I mentioned earlier, 64% in 2021, which is up from 50% in 2019. Um, and you can kind of track this through EasyPass transactions and accounts. So 
EasyPass accounts have 5X since 2005. Um, and then if I remember correctly, EasyPass transactions have grown, I think it's a little less than 4%, maybe 3.5% um, per year since uh, 2005. Um, so a little less than a double. I think they went from 2 billion to a little under 4 billion transactions done through EasyPass. Um, so there's some increasing take rate of, of cashless um, over cash. And then Vera Mobility will capture a large majority of that. They have exclusive contracts with Hertz, um, Enterprise, and Avis, um, which is a large majority of the, the rental car industry. And then kind of thinking through the second tailwind, um, this is the increasing cost of road maintenance. Uh, PPG um, has stated in the past that it costs $6,800 to maintain one lane mile of road. Um, so as that number creeps up, um, revenue from fuel taxes is actually continuing to decline. Think about EVs. Um, so that's a little harder to tax. Um, and then tolling is kind of emerged as this alternative source of funding, right? So toll operators control, call it 6,000 miles of, of, of road today, and they've generated $3 million um, average revenue per mile. Um, this is compared to about $150,000 or $160,000 of average revenue per mile from uh, fuel tax. So you also have the U.S. Tolling uh, Authority collecting $20 billion in total revenue in 2020. So this is a big um, a big industry that can actually help uh, like build infrastructure, maintain infrastructure. Um, and then lastly, toll revenue is creeping up. Um, so as electronic tolls, they enable local and state governments to actually uh, have dynamic pricing. Um, so uh, the increasing, they can increase pricing on a whim, uh, which uh, the governments really like. And then um, as but the people are, hate. Yeah, you're describing, I think all <laughs> this bull case is describing the hellish environment that is Seattle traffic, but that could be very <laughs> bullish for Vera Mobility. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of the put and take around it is look, if, if your life is going to get a little bit harder, maybe might as well uh, profit off of it by investing in Vera, right? Um, but to kind of, kind of round things out, um, your cars are being rented for longer. This is actually a post-COVID trend. Cars are being rented for a day longer. Um, which is nice because Vera Mobility will collect the extra $5.95. Um, but also, um, you get an increased percentage or chance that people will run a toll or have a violation, which Vera Mobility will capture some of that revenue. So if you kind of culminate this all together, um, you get the commercial business growing low double digits. Um, so that, that's the commercial business set aside. And then I'll try to be brief on the, the government solutions business. Um, so the two factors here that are really driving growth the, there's an ESG and a uh, police force multiplier spin that you can put on here. Um, the company has touted on a bunch of earnings calls uh, that 40 Florida counties um, measured how much time uh, police hours were spent um, dealing with these routine traffic violations. So it was 95,000 hours. Um, so just think about it. These 95,000 hours could be allocated towards something a lot more productive that can't be automated, some more serious crimes, right? Um, so you make police forces more effective. Um, and then there's also 95% of people who die using U.S. transportation are killed on streets, highways, and, and roads. Uh, and that's kind of put a number around it. It's sad, but it's 350,000 deaths between 2011 and 2020. And then New York, um, they released numbers, which Fair Mobility runs their program, their automated traffic program. Uh, noted there was a 70% reduction in, in dangerous speeding at camera locations. 
Um, so if you can save lives and um, save time, it, it's kind of a no-brainer decision, right? Um, and then you also have UN releasing their, their Vision Zero. This is uh, zero traffic fatalities. Um, I think it was by 2025 or 2030. Um, so there, there's some there's some actual government capital going into this. Have they started entering the European market at all? Yeah, so this is a great question. It kind of alludes to their acquisitions, which I talked about earlier. Um, but the RedFlex acquisition, originally Vera Mobility was 50% of the US market. Uh, RedFlex was 20%. So they're now, Vera Mobility entity is now 70% of the US market. What the RedFlex acquisition also did was open up the uh, European and Australian uh, market for the government solutions business. So they're starting to run some some traffic violations, some red lights, speed camera um, operations in Australia and Europe. And that that's a really big greenfield opportunity, right? Um, so you, you get in, um, it, it's tough to get people to convert at first, but uh, once you kind of hit that critical point, uh, a lot of uh, municipalities switch over. Uh, it's a little more nuanced in Europe just because there's so many different countries and things like that. There's some, some barriers to scale, um, but it helps to have a um, one large player in the area, which I can talk about later. And then I know you talked about it, um, kind of alluding to acquisitions. I want to touch on the, the T2 acquisition. Um, the thought was, for management at least, what they've said publicly is um, when they look to acquire a company, they're very ROIC focused and they want they either want to move slowly to adjacent markets um, or strengthen their core. And this was this 2-2 acquisition was more of an adjacent market. Um, so still processing payments, but now it's for universities um, and they have to do there's some parking um, specific like specific things that they have to figure out. Um, so how do you actually get students to, to sign up and things like that? Uh, but the parking um, acquisition really just opened up this new vertical. And then at this point, they're just going out trying to win new logos for it. If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast. Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep-dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files. Chit Chat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value. On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy. Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. Okay, I, I have one question that came to mind, and I think you may have ended up touching on this at the end of the episode, but I want to touch on it now. Um, so you mentioned the ticketing people uh, robotically or automatically. There, it sounds slightly dystopian to me as someone who probably speeds on a regular basis to get a ticket from someone from something as opposed to like an actual officer. I know that sounds kind of uh, like, all right, boohoo for me. But if I'm not mistaken, in your write-up, you mentioned that Texas outlawed that. Do you see that as like a risk among other states? So I think maybe the, the vision 
uh, listeners have right now is this like RoboCop coming up and giving them a ticket. This is more, um, they're setting up um, as you drive under, um, I guess the best way to describe it, there's cameras that are above the road. And as you drive under, um, they'll either capture your license plate um, for speeding or not. They're not actually physically ticketing you there. It's kind of like how easy pass works, but with speeding. Um, so there will not be a RoboCop pulling you over and telling you not to speed uh, and giving you that ticket there. Um, it'll be automated through cameras. Um, and then it'll kind of arrive as your easy pass bill arrives. And then um, can you remind me of the, your second question? I, I guess, do you think it's a risk that other uh, governments say, we're going to make, we're going to require it that the cop gives you a ticket as opposed to like an automatic ticketing system? Yeah, that's a good question. And you talked about it earlier with um, Texas. So in June 2019, Texas passed a uh, a bill that outlawed um, red light um, violations. You you can't be you can't be billed or ticketed for um, a red light violation in Texas. So there there's some puts and takes around that, but by and large, you can't. Um, one, it's Texas. Texas has always been more on the the free range, um, wild west part of things. Um, but I think really, if you go back to the the ESG spin on things, it, it's difficult to envision a world where it's better if people speed more. Um, and I think the only way you can incentivize people to not speed is by by putting up these these known traffic speed camera areas. Gotcha. All right. I think we've been getting into the risks, so I'm going to let Ryan talk about that with the question after this. But first, I want to talk management. Uh, I know it's probably important with an M and A focused strategy and. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's important in general and probably, uh, underappreciated by a lot of people. What do you think about, you know, fair mobilities management? What gives you the confidence that they're not the, they're the 1% of the SPAC people that are not the charlatans? Right. Yeah. So this is a great question. And it's kind of what I, I spend a lot of my time thinking about is how I know these people are not, uh, grifting me. Um, so my biggest concern is that they don't have much insider um, ownership, right? Uh, there's no insider that owns more than 1% of the company, which I, I found is a red flag. Um, and maybe that's a little bit um, due to the, the SPAC going public. Um, so there was warrants um, that were issued. So uh, Platinum Private Equity was a big holder. Uh, so maybe that diluted some of the, the management's um, ownership of the company. Um, but really just the way they kind of treat shareholders. Um, I've never seen a company who has been this open about um, segment costs. Um, I really got down to the unit economic level just from public filings. I didn't have to talk to IR. I didn't have to go to the management team or talk to them about it. Um, it was right there in the public filings. So they were very open about that. They had a recent turnover in CFO. Um, and again, this just seems more of a transition thing. Mirror um, Mobility was originally a... Um, the entity came from a merging of, of two past um, toll authorities or um, speed camera authorities. Um, and th it just seemed like a natural transition for the previous CEO's career. Um, the, the current CEO is, again, just as open uh, as the CEO. And I think this team is is strong, but of course, the jury is still out. You never know. Okay. Now on the commercial business, or actually let's stay on management for a second. What do you think of the capital allocation strategy? Obviously they've made a few acquisitions. Have they hinted at making more or would you, and I guess as your preference as a shareholder, would you rather see them continue to make new acquisitions or buy back their shares? Yeah, it's a good question. So they laid out two scenarios um, and 
their, their number is get the $2 in free cash flow by 2026 or $2 plus in free cash flow. They've laid out two uh, scenarios to get there. One is 75% M&A and 25% buybacks, and then 25% um, M&A and 75% buybacks. So I think as a shareholder, the M&A route's a little more treacherous, right? You have execution and integration risk and opportunity cost risk. Um, and I think with the stock where it's currently trading 11 and a half times uh, trailing 12 months EBITDA to EV, um, I think repurchases are um, more advantageous right now. I think you can acquire, you have more certainty around your business. You know your business more than uh, you know another business, hopefully. Um, so it makes a lot more sense to repurchase stock. So I modeled out the 75% buyback, 25% M&A. And it kind of puts some, some numbers around that. They think they're going to generate $1.2 billion in free cash flow um, over the next five years to 2026. Um, and then cumulatively, what happened? Cumulatively. Yes. Cumulatively. Yeah, okay. And then with relevering, you get to another 500 million. So that's 1.7 billion they have in deployable cash uh, accumulated between now and 2026. Okay. Um, on the commercial business, obviously you mentioned to it, uh, you mentioned it, the rental car companies are the racks they, they're very um uh results are kind of dependent on the success of those businesses how have those businesses fared in recent history i guess what are some of like the overall trends in the rental car space um and then what company we kind of follow is turo just because we own iac does this is kind of a just, question. Turo, there's more than just Turo. Those those concepts, they're maybe for car concept. Would yeah, would a ride sharing service kind of be a headwind for Vera Mobility? Yeah, both great questions. Um, so to kind of take on the um, the rack question first, so put some numbers around it. Thirty three percent of revenue comes from your top three racks: so your Hertz, your Avis, Budget Group, and then your Enterprises of the World. Um, racks, it's it's no. Uh, secret that they struggled through the pandemic. If you shut down travel, especially business travel, it's really going to hurt them. And then the restructuring uh, going on at Hertz was very widely covered. Um, so looking at the industry as a whole, um, it's very, very concentrated. Enterprise, Hertz, and Avis have about 94% market share. Uh, so to these nationwide players, that scale and breadth of air mobility is offering is really important. Um, We've seen billable days, like I talked about, go up 1%. Uh, so this is positively benefiting racks. Um, and then looking at the rack industry, revenues have grown four and a half, a little over four and a half percent since 2015. Um, and then the rental days have actually grown at 5%. So that's positive for bear mobility again. Um, but overall, being a renter is not an attractive business. There's high depreciation, um, lots of costs, low margins. Um, and if you kind of look at revenue trends, Hertz's revenue was flat, I think, against 2010. Um, and then I know Avis budget has done a little bit better. Uh, they've grown revenue, I think, 7% a year since 2010. But the rental car industry is a, is a tough, tough industry to be in. And then to cover your second question, Turo, this is more nuanced and interesting, I think. Um, and you guys can call me out for confirmation bias here, but I don't think it is a huge headwind. Um, I think the heuristic I use for the commercial business's use case is anytime the owner and the driver of the vehicle are different, fair mobility can step in. So that's definitely the case for Turo, right? If Turo fragments uh, the renter side of the business, fair can still connect to each uh, of the toll authorities 
And it also helps them diversify the revenue, right? So that 33% hopefully could be diluted if Turo creates hundreds of thousands or millions new small rental car companies, right? So for an integration or switch company, um, anytime you fragment one of the sides uh, of the marketplace even more, it helps them. And would you want to see them partner specifically with a Turo or some of those other companies that, you know, maybe Turo is not the big winner there, but is that what you want to see? Or is it just going to, you know, it'll be fine even if they don't have that official partnership with uh, those, I don't know, the ride sharing, whatever, not the ride sharing. I keep, we keep calling it that, whatever it's called. Isn't it? I mean, it's no, sharing, ride sharing, car sharing, car sharing, ride sharing is Uber. It's a little, it's slightly different. It's car sharing, but yeah. Would you want to see partnerships there? So my mental model here, and I, I studied Visa um, and the payment processors in the past. Um, and I think what you see Visa and MasterCard do a lot is they'll partner with every small fintech top company they possibly can, just in case it's the the, the ramp or the the next um, the, the next fat tail that comes up, right? So there's no, um, I guess, detriment to partnering with Turo or another company like them, um, because if they do well, great. But if they don't. Uh, the capitalist forces, you'll you'll eventually find the one that works out. It would be nice to to have a partnership with them in advance. Perfect. Makes sense. Um, we already talked about the cash generation. So why don't we go last one? Unless well, you yeah, let's maybe talk about the valuation, I guess. Uh, you, you, you briefly mentioned some of the numbers, but why do you think, maybe, maybe go through any other valuation stuff you have, and then why do you think the market is undervaluing them? Yeah, it's a good question. I think so to lay out the thesis as like succinctly as I can, right? Um, you've got a business that is growing high single digits top line. You got 40% incremental EBITDA margin, 30% returns on capital. Um, and it can generate probably $1.2 billion in free cash flow between now and, and 2026. Um, if you relever that, they're, they're at three and a half, three and a half times uh, EBITDA net debt or net debt to EBITDA. Sorry, um, you relever, you get to five hundred million dollars of incremental cash there. So you get one point seven billion dollars of deployable cash. Um, and I don't want to hurt myself with the math here, but I think it's a two point five, two point six billion dollar company. That's 70 percent of the market cap is deployable in cash over the next five years. And you had two point five billion dollar market cap. I don't think you. Right, two point yes, five billion dollar market cap, three point six ish billion dollar EV. Okay. So, um, if you if you have seventy percent of the market cap deployable in cash over the next five years, um, it, it's an interesting spot trading for seven and a half times free uh, free cash flow yield or seven point five percent free cash flow yield. Um, and then, kind of, what's weighing the stock? Why does this opportunity exist? I think that there's three reasons, right? So. One is you have this forced non-economic seller in Platinum Equity. Um, they are a private equity firm that just brought a company public. They want to get liquidity for their LPs. This is creating some overhang on the stock. Um, you have some stockholders that are afraid or potential investors that are afraid of um, dilution from the SPAC warrants. Um, so this is an incremental 25 million to 30 million shares that could um, be diluted over the next um year but again they're super cash generative they can buy that back they have enough cash to buy that back and actually reduce share count um and then your last one is just the whole de-spack world has been thrown out regardless of quality and i think those three um let's call it short-term um problems pair with this really long-term strong business with all the secular trends we talked about 
it's a pretty uh, compelling setup. Yeah, makes sense. I, uh, I I like the pitch. What would cause this to be the opposite? I guess what what would what would make this a poor investment? Right. This this is the fun part. This is why everyone invests. I, this is why I doze off in, in lecture, uh, trying to think about how can I kill this idea. You know. So let's say we get that crazy dilution from uh, from the SPAC warrants. Call it thirty million shares. We're buying them back. $22 a share, let's call it $660 million um, that you have to free cash flow spend just to offset dilution. We're still sitting around 159, 160 million shares outstanding. Um, so from there, you get maybe some headwind in the commercial business. Uh, that only grows maybe high single digits. We laid out that that the low double digit number, but let's say it grows um, high single digits just from customer churn, uh, no pricing, and then volumes at the racks actually continue to stay flat. Um, so that, that business, the commercial business only grows, maybe call it seven, 8%. Um, and then government solutions, maybe is a GDP plus business. Maybe it's tough to get pricing power out of governments. It's tough to win new logos and get people to convert, um, your first customers are your easiest customers. So maybe it's, it's harder, more CAC. Um, and then, uh, the same story, maybe with the parking, uh, business. So maybe you have all your big universities that are going to switch already. Uh, you got to spend more on customer acquisition again. Uh, and maybe that business only grows mid single digits. Um, in that scenario, my bear case scenario, I get to $1.65 in free cash flow. Um, and then if you kind of apply today's EBITDA multiple to that, um, you get a flat share price, maybe a little bit down from here. Um, and then, so that that's the buyback scenario. And then end of management laid out the M&A scenario. With that, there's plenty of dilution, execution, integration risk. So there, there may be some downside as well. Okay. I think that's all the questions we have. Do you have any more? I do not. Okay. Uh, for any listeners that want to keep up with you, what are the best places to do that? So the best place to keep up with that, um, there's Twitter, Vestral Capital. Um, and then my Substack uh, is just vestral.substack.com. All right. And we'll have the link there uh, in the show notes. So. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, we want to sign off, give our disclosure here. Uh, anything we say on this podcast is not formal advice or recommendation. Brett and I are not financial advisors. Um, we are, however, partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, Ben, for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next time. 